The following podcast contains spoilers and words like and gosh Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, thanks for joining us. We watched a thing. Billy, thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I mean, the traffic here was terrible, but I finally got to, to WWATHQ. Yeah. And uh, here we are. Good place to be. Great place to be. It's always great to be with you, buddy. Gosh, <laughs> I'm touched. Now, now you don't know what to say. You're speechless. I am. You shouldn't um, have done that at the start of an episode. We're, we're supposed to talk. That's the whole point. And here I am, stunned and poorly. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about this week? This week, we are at the behest of one of our patrons. Yep. We're going to be talking about an 80s cult classic, I think it's fair to call it. That is Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's right. It was demanded that we not watch the the US edited Love Conquers All version. We're watching the director's cut. <laughs> now, did I tell you the story about this request? I don't know that you did. I might not have. I, I uh, cuz as far as I'm concerned, the stories of requests tend to be we get emailed saying, "Hey, I'm due a request. Watch this." Yeah. <laughs> well, this this one came to us from great listener of the show, David Powell, who also made us watch what is, I think, the best film I've seen this year, Night of the Hunter. We didn't actually have to watch Chinatown, mate. I'm, I messed that up. <laughs> I, I read the emails wrong and I thought he requested Chinatown. What he actually requested back then was Brazil. So, <laughs> I had to reach out and say, really sorry, mate. I messed up. We will do Brazil, though. So, here we go, though. We're, you we are watched- just not going to make it as a secretary. <laughs> oh, I'm not the secretary. If anything, you're the secretary, mate. Lies. Oh, come on. Come on. Actually, I feel like our workload is about equal. Yeah, well, that's the idea. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. We are a great team. <laughs> All right, shall we crack into Brazil then? Because I don't know how long we've been recording, but so far we barely mentioned Brazil. (laughs) Brazil is a 1985 dark dystopian science fiction film directed by Terry Gilliam and written by Gilliam, Charles McCohen and Tom Stoppard. The film stars Jonathan Price and features Robert De Niro, Kim Greist, Michael Palin, Catherine Hellman, Bob Hoskins and Ian Holm. And what is it about, Toph? Oh, what a cast. Um, It's about... It's about what many great sci-fis are and the the struggle of of the individual against the system. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, a feeling that I'm sure you're familiar with, you um, you little rebel you. Oh, I, I really don't like authority, actually. But I'm in this weird position where I'm simultaneously scared of and heavily disrespect authority. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't like them, but I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> Um, So, you had seen this movie because when we first spoke about this, you said that you didn't like it. You said this was one of the films that you always expected to like a lot more than you actually did once you watched it. Right. If I said I didn't like it, I was overstating it. But that second bit is certainly true because I went into Brazil the first time I saw it thinking there's just no way that I don't absolutely love this film. Like, no way. No way known to God. And then- I was like, okay, yeah, that was a movie I watched. That was the edit that we did not watch this time. Right, it was the edit. So, did you appreciate it a lot more this time? 
I did like it more this time. It's possible that some of that is because I was going in without the baggage of, all right, this is going to be the greatest shit I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, And also probably because, yes, David is quite right. This is a better film. Yes. So, this is the first time I've seen it and I've only seen this director's cut. Um, This is a long movie. This is clocking in at about two hours 40. The studio release version, 90 minutes. That is a huge cut down from this film. That's massive. Apparently, Gilliam was furious because he didn't know the studio was editing at the same time he was editing. It wasn't even like they saw his cut and then did this. They clearly, like, from the moment they read the script, were like, no, nah, we'll, we'll, we'll fix that. That's um, a dirty move. Yes. So, he actually, in 1985, when the film was released, took out a full-page ad in the newspaper that just said, Dear Studios, when will you release my film Brazil? <laughs> Release the Snyder Cut. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a crazy story. Like, talk about studio interference. That's next level to actually be simultaneously editing with your own crew while the director is still working on the movie. If you went into this film completely blind, when you're, you're in the opening moments of this film and, you know, that neon Brazil title comes up and the music that accompanies it, it would be tough to gauge what film you are in for at that point in time. It's true. And even the title, like, how often has that happened where a film has been named after a song just because it's kind of featured in the film? It, it, like, the title Brazil really has very little to do with the film itself. So, even that doesn't give a lot away because the mm. film is not set in Brazil, people. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Price, Famously yes. English. Yes, <laughs> yes. I believe Actually, was- I think I could be getting that wrong. Jonathan Price might be Welsh. Oh, Welsh, British. What's the difference? Well, we can say we'll just go with British. Yeah, yeah. I re- yeah, I'm convinced now he's Welsh. <laughs> you should have done your research. <laughs> um, well, let me tell you, I really, 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 really enjoyed this film. I liked it a lot. I knew nothing about it going in. I did not know- I I didn't even know it was a sci-fi. I didn't know anything about it at all. But it's a really interesting blend. It's like Office Space meets 1984 meets Children of Men meets a Monty Python film meets Wally. Yeah, like that's, that's bang on. It's like all those things kind of mixed together. It's got this genius humour, the the satire around, especially if you've ever worked in an office or had anything to do with government. That kind of stuff is just bang on. But I found the the sci-fi elements and the action and everything was really, really top-notch as well. Yeah, the the world building that it does, particularly in the early stages, um, in the and maybe even most particularly in the office, yes. um, is some really high-level shit. The, it really is. The yeah. you know the signs on the wall that are, like there's one for instance that plays on the. Loose lips sink ships. Yes, sign and there's a sign in the background right behind someone that says "loose talk is noose talk." <laughs> yes, yes, and just all these things that it's like okay, yes, it's kind of our world, but also it has a way of telling you uh, how people are kind of forced to live in this society without being that explicit about it or even showing you that much. Yeah. Absolutely. And the production design itself is so smart and so great. The ducts everywhere. It's it's a great way. You know, you look at some sci-fi films that were made 
back then, 70s and 80s. And there are some really, really good ones. Like even take Alien, for example, which does it really well, but it's still almost impossible not to watch that movie and go, well, this was made in the 70s. This is the 70s. It's not the future. Whereas what this film does really clever is because it's this dystopian universe where technology is, quite frankly, rubbish, (laughs) it doesn't. I mean, obviously, the film- And it actually even dates itself at the beginning as still being in the 20th century. Well, that's right. So, it doesn't do that massive leap forward, which then can make a film look silly when- Yes. You get up to the actual time (laughs) and you're like, (laughs) yeah, okay, you were a bit off. Yeah. But, like, you know, because- Because it is supposed to be, you know, this society is overly reliant on these machines that are crap. You know, they've got ducts everywhere and it doesn't feel so out of place when you see that they're using these old crap operating systems and stuff. It all feels quite authentic somehow. So, it's a really smart piece of production design. Yeah, I actually looked up um, whether this got an Oscar nomination for production design. It did, but it lost out to Out of Africa. Right. Which, that, that's not dating very well, is it? No, that that's not dating well at all. Um, the production, the art direction on this film, the set design is, I mean, it's elite stuff. It Absolutely it is. And like you say, the world building, we spoke about, you know, early scenes in Children of Men when we discussed that film. And it really, really, I can see how that has been inspired by this because, as you say, it's those little touches in the background. It's the way that people interact in those early scenes. You really get a sense of this place pretty early on. And this does something that Children of Men would then do in a, in some ways a very similar way, in some ways a very different way, where the ways that those two films portray the commonplace everyday nature of terrorism. In, yes. In this setting. Yes. Um, in Children of Men, it's a- big realistic explosion early on in the film. In this movie, it's a really quite comedic scene. Yes, it's much more Monty (laughs) Python-esque. It's it's a really Python scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where they're just kind of ignoring it and, yeah. And it's just like, it's farcical where they're bringing out the dividers and kind of sweeping away bodies, basically. Yes. So that the posh people don't have to see this side of of life. There's something about that even, even though it's handled comedically, even that gets across the level of grimness that is built in this universe. Like, you're watching that, and even though you're kind of laughing, in some ways, you're laughing at the absurdity of it. Like, this is horrendous. <laughs> Pretty bang and cast. Um, I imagine it was a quite a coup to get De Niro oh, yeah. to just jump on in a supporting role Yeah, in the mid-80s. Like, we're talking- I suppose if you're looking at the timeline of De Niro, you'd probably say this is like we're just past absolute peak De Niro. But, you know, Raging Bull is not far in the rear vision mirror, really. No, that's right. I think this is definitely up there with my favourite De Niro supporting roles. He He's so great in this film and it is, it's such a small role, but so pivotal as well at the same time. Yeah. I mean, right from- the, Yes, he is. He, it is integral to the the way that the- that the rocks start rolling downhill in the film, if you will, with yep. the buttle tuttle mix-up. It is yes from yeah from the off. It is kind of all to do with De Niro. Yet he he just bobs up occasionally. Yeah, and when he first rocks up as this kind of hero to fix his his heating system, I think that's a really great scene where that I think him and Jonathan Price have really really great screen chemistry together. Um, elsewhere in the cast, Kim Greist, geez, that's a shame it's not played by Carrie Fisher, because she's quite bad. 
<laughs> I was sitting, I was watching it the other day and I was like, okay, she's, she's pretty bad. Who in the mid eighties, who do I wish this was? And a minute later it was like, how freaking great yeah. would, Carrie, would Carrie Fisher be? She actually even looks a little bit like Carrie Fisher, Kim you can, Yeah. You can see it. Um, she's she's American, so it's not like you're inserting another American in the cast for no exactly. reason. She's already American. Yep. Which, frankly, is weird. It is strange that it's never explained. For some reason, I don't mind it with De Niro, but um, it, it is strange given that it, just the setting that she's supposed to be living in, it feels a little bit like, well, why is this woman here? <laughs> yeah. But I think the, the energy that I think they want us getting- from that character, which I don't get from her, unfortunately, it's it's total early Carrie Fisher energy. Yeah, I think um, so. That's a bit of casting that I think lets the film down. Quite frankly, um, I think for me personally, this film is really where Gilliam started to hit his stride as as a screenwriter. I think prior to this. You know, you look at la- a couple of weeks ago, we watched um, Time Bandits, which was his film before this. In fact, he considers this the second in a kind of spiritual trilogy along with that film. And I think that this is so leaps and bounds ahead of that. Like you say, a lot of the things that are going on here are very, very high level. Like thematically, there is so much to chew on here. There's things that I'm sure I'm missing. There are things that are in your face. There are like- it just has a lot going on from a from a writing perspective. I feel like he was still starting to develop his style as a director. I think that continued to grow. You look at things like Twelve Monkeys, but to me, this this screenwriting is almost perfection. It's very well written. I think the leap forward in in direction is massive. Right between Time Bandits and this, and I'm probably thinking most specifically here of the scenes. In the various offices, yep. um, the use of the moving camera in there with the wide lens yep. is, yep. it's quite frankly, some pretty iconic shit. It really, really. is, yeah. And there's a bunch in there that, um, I don't know if it was a direct inspiration, but if you look at early 90s to mid 90s, probably Roger Deakins, yeah, his, his work with the Coens at the time. Yeah. No idea if this is true, but it wouldn't shock me if this was- um, kind of the blueprint for some of that stuff. Yeah, yep, I could see that. So, the, like the world, a lot, a lot of the characters absolutely love the world building. I absolutely love um, thinking of scenes of like very early scene where with the the, the initial buttle tuttle mix up where where someone is yes where someone is taken away by the authorities and and they come in and do a great thing which is it now seems incredibly ahead of its time. I think in retrospect where where authority figures say the exact opposite of what they mean. Because in that scene, of course, they, you know, they bust into this home through the ceiling, no less, tie a guy up and say, he's been invited to assist with inquiries. Yes. <laughs> Which anytime you see a government doing something <laughs> against the interests of a lot of its people, yeah. you can kind of bank on that they're going to call it the exact opposite of what it is. Yes. Um, and yeah, here's this film 35 years ago doing it, just brilliantly, and then, like that goes to the like the signage, uh, more of the signage in this film of the you know don't suspect a friend, report them. Yes, yep. It's so good. It's just the world building in the film is next level shit. I love it. Then 
unfortunately, at some point in this film, it has to actually tell a story. And that's where, for me, it is not nearly as good. Really? Interesting. I think it's at its best when it's painting a picture. When it then is like, all right, we're going to have to do something with this character. For me, not nearly as strong. Interesting. See, I actually quite enjoy the storytelling in the film. And I feel like the world building, the world building is beautiful because it does more than just support the story. It literally, it builds this world that you feel like you could live in. Like, I definitely feel like you could see thousands of other stories coming out of this universe. But I do think that it also supports the story that we get given. And uh, yeah, I, I actually, I really like the story arc and the development of our our hero. While I probably don't support the the edit that was made of the film, I do think this film is fat. Well, watching it, I was like, yeah, okay, this is this is fat through the middle. And then in another 20 minutes or so, I was like, yeah, okay, it's it's now getting fat into the third act. I well, like I do think the film is too long. Yeah, so there is actually a third version. So we watched the director's cut actually in the end. Sorry, David, we didn't watch the international cut. The international cut is actually 10 minutes shorter than this. So, yeah, maybe that addresses some of those things you're talking about, but it sounds like that would probably still be too long. For yeah, I just I think there's just a lack of momentum from about 45 minutes. Yeah, let, let's let's call it about 45 minutes in. I think from then on it does suffer from a lack of momentum. Like even, I mean, there's a car chase in the film, which is kind of dull for me for a bunch of that section of the film. But you know, we're talking about a fair chunk of the film here. Yeah. I think it needs to just get going. Right. I, fa- I found that the film actually did a really good job of keeping the tension. I-, I was gripped the entire time. Like these days for me, I don't know if it's like stress around lockdown and stuff. But in the last couple of months, I found it very hard to watch a film without pulling my phone out at least once or twice. Just, you know, have a quick Google of something. This film I was engaged the entire time. This is one of the first times in ages that I've actually just sat and watched a film from beginning to end uh, and loved the whole experience. It was really, really nice for me to feel that level of engagement. Love the tease of the happy end, which- as you're watching it, you're like, this this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like this what's this like surely not. Well, surely and- not, Terry. And then of and then of course, um, yeah, surely not. Yeah, even that is so surreal though. Yes. Like, I mean, obviously the big reveal is extremely grim, <laughs> but even his kind of happy ending still has these strange levels of darkness to them. You know, like, he ends up at the funeral of the woman who's been having all these complications, and then her complications got complications. And then he sees his mother, and she's had so much surgery that she looks like Kim Christ. And there's all this very strange, surreal stuff going on that that you know that's not really going to be how it ends. But then it really hits you with a gut punch when you cut back to the quote-unquote torture chamber. Yeah. <laughs> and he- Which is just one of the all-time great sets. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's really, yeah, that kind of spherical- It almost reminded me a little bit of the ending of Empire Strikes Back, that set. <laughs> it's funny because what it reminded me of is the bit they fly into- the inside bit of the Death Star in Return of the Jedi, <laughs> where Wedge blows the tower and Lando <laughs> blows that thing. 
yeah, right. <laughs> so we both got Star Wars vibes. Probably, like, yeah, it says more about us than the film, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, when it cuts back to that and he's clearly been like lobotomized and he's just humming Brazil to himself kind of like, because this is the thing about him is he's always been a daydreamer. Like, much like myself, he's not happy in his office job. He's he's in his own head imagining he has wings. <laughs> so then at the end when he's kind of locked in that world, he's actually almost happy, I guess. It's really grim and like in some ways uplifting at the same time, for me at least. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he's, yes, he's kind of better off. Absolutely. I mean, wouldn't you be better off kind of in your own world than living in this world that we've seen built yeah. for us in the last couple he's, of hours? Yeah. Like- Joey Pants in the Matrix. He's plugging back in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so I I really, really loved that ending and kind of thematically what was what was happening there. Um, let me ask you a question. Is this a Christmas movie? <laughs> um tell you what, it's yeah, I mean, Jonathan Price's experience in this film are about as painful as Christmas, so probably. <laughs> I don't think you can say that Die Hard is a Christmas movie and this isn't. It's set think, at Christmas time. I there's think a, you can. There's a lot of gift givings. Uh, no, not a Christmas film. It's, it starts off with- Learn like, to tell the difference. It starts off with with sitting around a Christmas tree and telling a good old Christmas tale. It does. This is 100% a Christmas film. <laughs> yeah, nah. Yeah, I'm going to watch it December 22nd. I'm going to send you a picture- just to remind you just how Christmassy right. it is. That will have very little effect on my day, but you go nuts. <laughs> yeah, so I absolutely adored this film. I think this is almost as close to a perfect film as you can get. I'm giving this a 9 out of 10. I like this film. Uh, this is one of those movies where the things I like about the film I love. Yeah. But then, unfortunately, there's a dot, dot, dot to it. Um and when this film is just living in the details, like the little things, like you know, like the signs we've talked about, like Michael Palin's character adopting Barbara as his wife's name because- <laughs> Oh, that was gold. Because <laughs> it's just better to go along with the authority figure, which is just priceless stuff. I know, and when he sees him like three days later and he's still calling her Barbara, he's like, you're still calling her Barbara? He's like, what, don't you like it? <laughs> yeah, it's a perfectly good name. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, yeah, great stuff, great stuff. But for me, it is, it is fat- it needs an edit for me, still probably somewhere between the versions, uh, but I do like it. Seven out of ten. All right. What are we getting to next week, my friend? Uh, next week, continuing on the patron train, uh, we will be watching a Tarantino film. So, yes. um, surely um, surely you've seen it before, Billy. <laughs> Look, I've seen- I reckon I've seen half of his filmography. <laughs> so- you know, this one I haven't, <laughs> but after this, I will have seen more than half. I think there's only three I haven't seen. Okay. So- He's made he's made nine, and haven't you only seen three? No, I've seen more than three. Okay, let's do the count. Okay, I've seen Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. Pulp I've seen Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Once I've Upon s- a Time. Yes, Once Upon a Time. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen True Romance, which- are Doesn't we counting count. That? Oh, no. Okay, okay. All right. I haven't seen Hateful Eight. I haven't seen Django. I haven't seen- Kill Bill. Uh, haven't seen Bastards. Yeah. And that's it, though. That's it. <laughs> so, there you go. I'm right. I've seen I've seen half because I've seen four because well, I have seen four Death is Proof. Le- Where did you go to school? <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. But four and a half is half of nine. So- well, Yes, it is. So, after seeing Jackie Brown, I will have seen more than half. I was correct in my initial statement. Wait. Won't you be on four after Jackie Brown? No, because I've seen Death Proof. Oh, okay. 
So after Jackie Brown, I will have seen five. You will have seen more than half, yeah. Yes. So I am correct in my initial statement. Thank you for your apology. (laughs) I apologize for nothing. (laughs) You're an animal who hasn't seen Glorious Bastards. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it, though, because you know that I, I want to catch up on his filmography. What I've seen, I've, for the most part, enjoyed. It's just, for me, it's a time factor. The films I haven't seen came out time factor, after I had kids. Time factor, since the mid-90s. No, the films I haven't seen came out after I had kids. You try squeezing three hours for- I'm sorry. When when Jackie Brown came out, you were seven years old, were you not? Okay, okay. So, Jackie that's, Brown is an exception. That's kids, mate. Jackie Brown is an exception, mate. <laughs> Did you In hear fact, that? Kill, okay, Kill Bill came out, you didn't have kids. Inglorious Bastards came out, you didn't have kids. Whoa, whoa, Django whoa, whoa, came whoa, out, whoa, whoa, you didn't whoa, have whoa, kids. Whoa, whoa, I might have- I might have- No, wait. No, I didn't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> I you were just, a, uh, you know, you were just an enthusiast <laughs> film fan who, um, who just didn't see Tarantino films. I lead a very busy life, my friend. Yeah, well, what we've rewatching Sphere. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's a great movie. Did you hear that? Um, Hateful Eight has just dropped on Netflix. I don't know if it has here in Australia, but in the states, they've dropped it as a four-hour, four-part miniseries. Right. I have seen it pop up on Netflix, but being not a great fan of that film, I haven't hit play on it. Apparently, watching it as a miniseries with four hour-long parts is actually a lot better. So, yeah, okay. I might check it out that way. Interesting. But anyway, so next week, Jackie Brown. Then we've got some more patron requests coming up. And shall we tell the people now what we're doing after that? Sure. All right. After that- We're, we're going getting- on holidays. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. Screw you all. Not from your ears. You'll still hear us because once again, we have done a marathon- we have watched all 12 movies in the Alien slash Predator franchise. That's right, all 12. So that's going to cover six weeks, two movies per week. We'll be coming to your ear holes, and I think you'll like it. I think that's, you'll like it. That's happening in, from September. Yes, from September onwards. So it'll be September and, and, a, and a little bit of October. Have we come up with a name for that yet, buddy? There's one I like. I don't know if I've sold you on it yet, but we'll just we'll keep kicking that round. Okay. I Yeah, I, I really, really like that name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it a lot. <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchthething. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchthething, and we will catch you next week. I'll say out. <laughs> <laughs>